0: Nastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm one of your many hosts in the gym today. My name is Celeste, a.k.a. Sea Witch.
1: And I'm DM Neil, a.k.a. Jote and I'm kind of excited because I know our special host with us, additional co-host, also has an a.k.a,
2: but I'll let yes. them introduce themselves. I, I do. I'm, I am Mike Shea. My a.k.a. is Sly Flourish.
1: Yes.
0: Yes, you're and- already ready to train with us in the gym. You have a cool nickname. <laughs> you, need, you need
2: an aka. It's yeah. on your
0: uniform. It's great. We're we're ready.
1: Excellent. Yeah, Celeste. Celeste had a uh, a few struggles with the aka. Uh,
0: yes. i have just you know really finding my my name, my space, remembering mm. how to say it. You know, these things are uh, hard when you're lifting 400 pounds every episode.
1: <laughs> I like it. So. Mike is here for a very specific reason, but before that, we're just going to jump right in and get into another exercise. Thankfully, we do use video. Um, Obviously, this is a podcast and it's only audio, but if we didn't have it, I wouldn't see the sheer, whenever I read out the title for an exercise. Um, So this one is called Spy Me to the Moon, and it hurts (laughs) Celeste
0: Every time. You know, you think after like hundreds of these, it would get easier and it doesn't. (laughs)
2: It's an an old wound that keeps opening.
1: (laughs) Yes. So for this one, again, Rorik, the amazing mind that they are, helped us come up with the idea that a party has basically found a map. And on that map is a telescope. And I love the idea that they're finding this, but then have no additional context, which of course allows for a lot of mental exercise on your part as the DM, as well as stealing their ideas, making them seem like your own and all of those things. Mm -hmm. But basically the idea that we want to approach is what is it? How are you adding a new hook? How are you adding it into the hooks that you've already laid? Is it something they don't even care about? Is it a one-off to do with other characters? So those are kind of the things that we're gonna approach, I almost want to ask how does everyone feel about a telescope being on there? Because it, it, with the idea of traditional fantasy, doing something like a telescope can fit seamlessly in the world or it can seem like this huge, huge oddity deal. Yeah. depending on what you've already set up in your world.
0: Yeah, because if you're an Eberron, no big deal, but yeah, you know, if lots you're of telescopes. in a very like medieval low, low magic setting, this might be kind of wild.
2: Yeah, it could be magic all of its own, right? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: The 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 interesting first question, is, because it's already it's already, you're already making some assumptions with it, is that they're already there. They've already taken the time, the effort to go see it. Is what was the last thing the telescope was looking at?
0: Ooh, that's fun. Hmm.
2: I I have an idea.
0: <gasps> Do it. Yes. <laughs>
2: an an element of the starscape that used to have stars in it but doesn't anymore.
0: <gasps> oh no.
2: Stars are disappearing.
0: A growing blackness.
2: A growing blackness.
0: Uh, extremely ominous. Wow.
2: And perhaps there are mad scrawlings around the edge of this map. <gasps> yes. From somebody who's discovering this.
0: Yeah. Oh man. So this is the perfect place for the old 3.5 alienist class. Exactly. Driven right. mad by the the world yep. beyond the stars.
2: Yeah. Good for good for your 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 what, what, what's the warlock pact that's all about the tentacles oh uh, there's a there's a tentacle packed warlock there's t- the el- the elder the, <laughs> the, the, the old, old one? Evil one yeah the old one the old one
0: yeah yeah um, my idea for the telescope what if this telescope was pointed at another telescope
2: <laughs> so Holy somewhere cow.
0: else like in a far away place um, and then it becomes on the not, same world yeah so okay. not only yeah. was there this one telescope but like on a mountain in this world there's another telescope up there that this one was pointed at and then it's like why are there all these telescopes and what what's going on here
2: mm-hmm. what's the what's the connection mm-hmm. what's the, maybe mm-hmm. there's more right more than just those two mm-hmm.
1: I have to say this so that I can get it out into the world and I can move on. But you all know? I keep thinking yeah. is that Rick and Morty episode where the, there's the smudge out on the end of the telescope. And you think that he thinks that there's a man actually living on the moon. Um, and now <laughs> that that is out of the way, um, I love both. I love both of the ideas. I want to say that because my other idea is to just put them together. Because you think of this this blackness mm. and then starting – to just look around and you find someone else that has a telescope. And now Mm -hmm. maybe the person that has telescope one, um, just for context is trying to get the party to go to whoever has the second one. Mm -hmm. And now, yeah, now it's this epic quest to find who else has a telescope and what can we learn from these different vantage points? Is it, how far away is it? Because it doesn't take much to block out a star. And so yep. is it just outside? Is it forever away? And, and then you have, oh,
0: man.
2: And that's sort of fun, fun medieval science, right? Like, yeah. you know, at first they're just thinking, like, oh, I don't know, stars are disappearing. Like the candles are going out, who can say? And then, you know, you're like, well, if we see it from a different vantage point and we see that different stars are disappearing, depending on where you're looking from, that means there's something there and it's coming this way, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Oh. Or how far away is it? How big is it? You can figure that out if you have multiple, if you have multiple vantage points.
1: That, that's what I was thinking. You using the old triangle and trying yeah. to figure out exactly what's happening. And fun the other,
2: reveals for the characters.
1: And the other thing I thought was planting that seed and having it come up in a different campaign or different, different storyline later because it's happening, but it's happening at a pace that doesn't affect the characters that have originally found it. Right. And so then it's 20 years. It's, Two hundred years. To, okay, how long okay.
2: has it been? Right. How long has it been
1: going? Yeah.
0: Ooh, I just got another idea. How fast idea is it? About what the telescope could be looking at? Because magic. Um, what if it doesn't see things in this world, but it like can look into other planes or peer mm. into like other locations beyond the actual like material plane? So it's not looking at the stars per se, but it's like peering into the ethereal. Yeah, The planes, astral sea. Or, yeah, exactly. Right.
1: Which goes to the second question and I think works really well because you start, to, you start to see how complex this setup is because I also just envisioned question two before I say more words is what <laughs> are other preset locations does it have? And I, now I just envision the other like lenses falling into place and the, those being different colors, being different materials, and then you seeing into the ethereal plane or astral plane or so on and so forth.
2: Yeah, what if it what if it sees into these other planes and the same thing exists there?
0: That's very right. scary. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so now this this thing is actually tearing through multiple planes at the same time. It's even more dangerous. Uh, I idea- also, t- oh.
1: I just envisioned another telescope, but uh, <laughs> yours is much scarier.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, and also, the idea that it would have preset locations—I mean, that kind of leads me to believe, like maybe this is a telescope in a big observatory or something. Right. You know that that has these routine places it tracks and moves, like either seasonally or annually. It like is programmed to observe these different phenomena, so no matter when you come to the telescope, you always see something different. Um, mm-hmm. That's a cool idea too.
1: So, number question number three: What might the players know or recognize about the things they see?
2: Players or characters? Yes. Caring. No, probably <laughs> most likely characters. Well, it, on the on the whole triangulation aspect, that might be something players would pick up, right? Like, you, you if little hints are thrown out that 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 could be, then players might be more likely to say like, "Oh, wait a minute! If we go to three different places." and we look at it from three different angles, we'll actually be able to learn things about size and velocity.
0: Yeah, I, I Where characters that. are like, I don't
2: know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: that players really like constellations and stuff like that. Characters very rarely <laughs> care.
2: <Yeah.
1: laughs> oh, that is so true. Because I mean, cause you look at our own world, it's like, yeah, that is a fascination. But for the majority of the population, they're just the dots. They're so like, this in means it. nothing
0: right. to me. Unless you're a sailor or you know an explorer. <laughs> it's like, I don't.
1: Well, I thought my first thought was the the terrifying idea that someone does recognize a preset location as a player character. Mm. That that does seem pretty creepy to me that you would come upon this telescope and then it just points to your home. I, I know that we we use char- we, Celeste and I use our characters as reference points. But the idea that I have a Shatter Kai and then one of the lenses falls into place and it's basically exactly where I came from.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not great.
1: Yeah, that, I I don't know what I would do in that like in that player's seat. It's like why break it? I don't.
0: Yeah, so, break it. What's it gonna do? Why? Yeah. Why is it just looking there? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I kind of want to know more about this connection to like this map and this thing. Like, why did the players find this map? What is the purpose of the map to lead them to the telescope? And like, what's the next step of this mystery once they find it? That's definitely an interesting question. So is there a reason they were interested in the map that they like find the answer here in the telescope? Like what, where's that connection? Like there are strange runes on the map. uh, And then all of a sudden, you know, around the base of this telescope, there are more of these runes and it becomes sort of like a cipher thing where they can, you know, crack the code and then learn how to use the telescope like with the map.
2: Right. Maybe the map was from one of the astronomers that used it.
1: Well, and yeah, that kind of goes to question four. What records nearby might give a clue Ah. about how the telescope was used?
0: (laughs) See, I don't like to read ahead. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I like to live in the moment here in the gym. I got
1: you. And I think that's a really great question to ask because you're – the other option is that the characters are just wandering around and they happen to see the giant telescope sitting uh, up high on the mountain. But the other idea is then who – had this map and why were they where you found it originally? Because the the other portion, which I think we don't do, I I would say is not a go-to, is going back to somewhere you came from because Mm -hmm. the players could go to the telescope, find these things out, realize that maybe there is something that someone was very specifically searching for where they found the map and maybe find a second portion of the dungeon or looking deeper, um, if
2: you will. Did you you guys... Ever see the TV show called Dark?
0: Oh.
2: It is the craziest TV show you'll ever watch. I almost, I almost guarantee it. It's on that, it's on Netflix. It's German subtitled. It's a science fiction show. Okay. And yeah, it it is all about this sort of crazy interconnections. It's a well, I don't even want to spoil it, but it's got crazy science fiction elements. But I'm thinking, like, what if the most important character in this particular scenario is dead mm-hmm. and they're the one that has the map in the first place they could have solved this whole thing but they're not around anymore Ugh. you know
0: yeah oh my gosh um yeah or like the, the the map is left to them like a like a famous adventurer dies and like leaves this map to them in their right. will you have to solve this you have to solve this it was like <laughs> I, their lifelong I was never work. able to solve this yeah they yeah. couldn't do it um and it comes to you
2: Oh, I yeah. love
0: that like some kind of, you know, wizard or something who's, you know, spent their life trying to decipher this map and maybe it's it's driven them I, who knows to death to destruction to disappear, yep. who knows. Um and then they're looking for clues about what happened to this person and then here's this map um with this strange trail, the telescopes all over the place and pointing into the blackness of space and uh that's very spooky.
1: Well, I also like the idea of not having a previous connection to this person that has died. You can go total Green Lantern, and it's just like they've passed away. Something flies mm-hmm. to the next willing and able individual to try and pick up and where they left off and keep going. And then there's no no other connection.
0: <laughs> uh, I love the idea of being in a dungeon and like finding like a, a dead adventurer, and they have this map on them. Um, <laughs> I love I I just love finding weird maps and letters and clues that are giving those as treasure in dungeons. It's so good
2: could be a great one, too. Like, they read the mad scramblings, and it's all about, you know, something is coming, right? Like, something, and there's all these telescopes that are pointing, and the adventure's like, you know, it's not my problem. I don't know. I got (laughs) other, I'm probably going to be dead in a week anyway. Yeah, I'm here to get
0: paid. (laughs) Right,
2: like, this does not seem profitable.
0: Now let's kill some goblins. (laughs) Dealing with
2: whatever the hell that is. I've never seen a treasure chest in the sky, have you? (laughs) No, No, right. I I seriously (laughs) doubt that giant unseen black orb that's coming towards this planet has loot on it. Uh,
0: yeah, I'll use it for firewood. <laughs> there you go, right. yeah, there you go. Okay.
2: so what can
1: the player characters do now to act on this knowledge?
2: Find the sages that aren't yet dead, yeah. Who might know more about it,
0: yeah or like if this you know telescope they're in is abandoned or something um uh, there there probably are other telescopes at the maybe people actually still run these observatories and can give them some kind of answer mm-hmm. Or they can consult experts about, I mean, honestly, I don't think most characters would know what, what the heck a telescope is or what it's for, right. really. So be like, why is this constructed? Who constructed this? And do a little historical investigation.
2: Yeah, dealing with dark and powerful entities that might actually know what that thing is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Well, and I really like the idea of these different telescopes and then the people that run them. Um, because at that point, you're, you're starting to get into the idea of some society and all of them being super weird. I mean, because <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. you have
1: this very dark, ominous one. You have one that's now dead. You 100% have one that's put like shoe polish on the thing. So then when the player pulls their eye away, <laughs> there's the ring and not taking it very intelligent, but not taking it anywhere near serious enough. But love the idea of having kind of this um, very eccentric people that are, for the most part, maybe living alone. And then mm-hmm. having the players interact with them.
0: I love this like cabal of telescope keepers we, we've right. created in the background here. And you
2: know that they have like horrible clicks and oh, yeah. hate each other. Oh, and yeah.
0: These two telescope grievances, right. Gr-
2: grievances that they've held for years.
0: <laughs> what they fight over whether or not Pluto is real. Constantly. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh. Right.
2: Okay.
1: Setting up signs, knowing that like one telescope has to look back at the other one and setting up like <laughs> these vulgar runes oh, for them yes. to look at. <laughs> uh, I feel like we definitely got into this. But one of the things that we like to do the most with the final question is just you do you. Like what else is like coming to your mind to just add extra flavor completely outside of the questions? I mean, we definitely just got into that realm um, with the this cabal of telescope keepers. <gasps>
0: Oh, just as an extra thought, it would be so cool if either the telescopes themselves were constructs or they were run by constructs. So it's like this cool society, you know, where where these beings sort of integrate their machinery and parts into the constructs. So it's all like part of a cohesive thing. So maybe they even put the maps together. They're the ones, you know, impressing on people that these things are important. Uh,
2: Isn't there a Isaac Asimov? Isn't one of the robot stories about a robot that's continuing to send signals to a planet that I'm trying to remember, I read it 20 years ago, but you know, yeah, when the robot keeps doing the job it's supposed to be doing,
0: yeah, even though the people that are doing it is dead, do, right? Even so though can nobody have, like, can interpret the data anymore. Right.
2: It's like- so maybe all of these constructs, all the, all the actual sages that know all the stuff, they're all dead, mm-hmm. but the, and they've been dead for, you know, hundreds of years. But the constructs are still doing all of their stuff and hold on to the same grievances.
0: Yeah. Because
2: every one of the sages programmed the grievances into, into the, the construct. constructs.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so you have to,
2: not only do you have to navigate these like uh, really stupid interpersonal conflicts, but yeah. they're from 300 years ago and no one cares, right? Like everyone's dead, but they still are there. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> well, and the, and the 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 thing I love the most, I mean, because now now if we're gonna dip a little bit into the do- design perspective, you're not having the players approach it from a mechanical perspective of what do I need to do as a player character to interact with this technology that maybe I don't understand? You're just giving, you're directly giving them the input that they need to interpret and go and go from there, which is a great way to do it so that you're not hung up on like, okay, so I need you to do these yeah, three checks. Yeah, you don't checks.
0: have tinkerer's proficiency. Yeah. 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 So you know, how it's like, you,
1: yeah. oh, oh, well, you rolled Uh-oh. a 2 Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess we're going back down. I there guess there we'll
0: there never there. know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Boy, I wish I'd never found that map.
0: Uh, (laughs) It'll torture me for the rest of my days.
1: Awesome. But I say we have done it. And as always, if you want to get a hold of us and let us know how you have made like colossal construct telescopes (laughs) that have terrible personalities, uh, you can always email us at dmnastics at com. And of course, if you want to follow us, you can do so on Twitter at dmnastics.com where you can follow me at Jot Maniac, You can follow Celeste at... Zekonowicz. And you can follow Mike at... Sly Flourish, Of course. Um, and for everything else on our network, you can go to BlockPartyPodcastNetwork.com.
0: And we also want to give a huge thank you to the Bards over on Bombarded for our intro and outro music. You can find out more about Bombarded at BombardedCast.com.
1: And, for our, and I am super excited because rather than let these mental gains go to waste, we're going to head to taking your supplements
2: taking your
1: supplement. and there's a hilarious musical bumper oh, that yes, goes here uh, <laughs> and so today on taking your supplements mike i am so excited
2: please tell me all about please fantastic layers all right <laughs> boy all about it so everything Let's see, I've been writing a bunch of books and uh, James Intercastle has been writing a bunch of books and Scott Fitzgerald Gray has been writing and editing lots of books and all of us have been friends. So I don't, James and Scott have worked together before in the way that working on RPG published projects tends to work, which is they've maybe shared an email every so often, (laughs) but Scott Gray and I uh, started working together God, it must have been 10, is it far as 10 years ago? Seven or eight years ago in their earliest days of D&D Next on a project called Vault of the Dracolich, which was a Wizards of the Coast. It was like, I think it was the first Wizards of the Coast D&D Next module that came out. It's available on the DMs Guild. And it was uh, Scott and myself and another designer, uh, Teo Sabadia who was one of the designers of um, the Acquisitions, Acquisitions Incorporated book. And all three of us worked together in a style that Wiz- Wizards of the Coast actually put together. Greg Bilsland, who was the project manager at the time over at Wizards of the Coast, said, we want to try to do it differently. Instead of having like, each of you work on a piece in sequence where like, Mike does the design, Teos does development, and Scott does editing, we want all three of you to work together on the whole project. And we're like, okay. And we did. And we all loved each other. And we loved working on that project. And it was great. So Scott and I worked together uh, a lot more after that. And in, in in a more collaborative sense than than typical, where a designer throws it over the wall. And then late last year, so so James Wintercastle used to live around here, and we played D and D together a lot. And he and I have kept in touch all this time. And then he his his career has shot you know skyrocketed, and. He and I were chatting one day and he said something like, you know, if you'd ever like to work on a project together sometime, I'd love to do that. And I'm like, how about right now? Right. Like, I'm not going to pass. <laughs> <Yep. James laughs> Instantaneously. Says, I right. have one. Yeah, did, if, not if, not I, mean. we will. We'll yeah. figure it out. Like if, if James Intercastle says he wants to work on a project with you, the answer is yes. <laughs> right. So I said, yes, I'd absolutely like to do that. And what if we brought Scott in, too? And James said, that would be awesome. So uh, then we started talking about what we wanted to do. And we had a couple of ideas. One was there was a, there's an old fourth edition book called Dungeon Delve that has 30 small dungeons in it that you can sort of drop into any campaign. And it, it had its warts, you know, like a lot of things before you had warts. But it was a very well-loved and well-received book. And they never really made anything like it after that. And there isn't really anything like that for fifth edition officially. There are lots of small adventure you know, small adventure books, like books of, books of a bunch of small adventures. But we, we wanted to do something along that line. And uh, we all, I also had been thinking a lot about how uh, we can improvise lots of different parts of our D&D game, but boss battles are hard to improvise. right? Good, well-tuned boss battles where they, they you know, run players right on the edge of their seat. They're really hard but doable. They have lots of moving parts. You know, they they have a really specific area with lots of interesting things going on. Those those you can't just sort of, you know, pull I out did. of your butt, right? <laughs> no. Like you yeah, they're hard they're hard to you know, and I've done it, I've tried. Yeah, right. But then no, they're yeah. never quite as good as, as you if don't
0: you, wing a strud fight. you don't wing never a strad fight. That's well. exactly right. Yeah. Right.
2: You yeah. don't, you don't, you don't, you don't wing a straw
1: fight. It's just and awkward that, how many times you're going to the bathroom and you're like, Oh, holy you're yeah, like, I gotta uh,
0: go. Like, Hey, let's
2: take a break. It's yeah. like, it's been five minutes. You're like I
0: know,
2: but I gotta read the stat blocks three pages long. Yep. So, um, so we said like, you know, how do we help with something like that? How do we help do the heavy lifting of boss fights? And, and that, those two ideas came together and we said, okay, let's do, let's do a book about that. And then we're like, well, what do we call it? And I said, I mean, none of us had a really great idea for a title. And we're like, well, let's put together a list of like 30 possible titles. We each do 10. And then we put them all in a big spreadsheet on Google Drive and we rate them like one to three or something like that, one to five. And then we'll sort and then the best titles that we all liked will come up to the top. And then we'll take a look at those. And we did that. And then we came down to five. And then we asked a bunch of friends of ours, like, hey, here's the kind of book we're thinking of doing. Here are like the five titles. What titles do you guys like?
0: I got that email. <laughs> <you>? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Should I
2: ask you, I ask you how you voted?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to say. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I will say the majority, the highest voted title was Fantastic Layers. Yeah. Uh, which we at first we were like, well, it describes well what we're doing. And I certainly like it because it fits in with my Fantastic Locations and Fantastic mm-hmm. Adventures books. But, but it was also very sensitive. Like, I don't want to call it something. <laughs> like, this is a partnership of the three of us. It's not a Sly Flourish book. Yeah. You know, is, is, are, and they were like, we, hey, we, whatever. Like, you know, we're cool. Like, you know, does it work on those? I'm like, yeah. The SEO works really well, and you know people know what it is, so they're like, well, "Let's call it that." So, so we decided to go with "Fantastic Layers" with the subtitle of "Boss Battles and Villainous Encounters," right? So, cool. which I think were the next two. So yeah. we, ma- we managed to get the nice. top
0: three. Triad. There you are. <laughs>
2: That's so we managed cool. to get the top three titles into the header and subheader title and subheader of the of the book. So that was like in January. So the like, all of us were working on different projects up until January. And that was the time, and, and we're all still working on them, them more than me. I'm kind of like, you know, I have a day job, and this is my main thing. And the two of them, they do lots of freelance work, so, so they have lots of different projects they're working on. But all of us had time in our schedules to start working on this. And uh, so, we started it in January, and we, we you know, kind of did the same process for the layers that are in it as well. So, we wrote like 30 or, I think, 50 different layer ideas you know, that we wanted it that we wanted to run with. And then did the same sort of like we tried to pitch each other, right? Like, you know, we'd pitch a layer and somebody'd be like, eh, you know, and we put them all in a big list and we sort rank, you know, rank them on what we liked and then sort of sort them and see what see what came out. And um, that helped us pick the 20 that we are that we're that we're working on now. We wrote the first 10. So the, the Kickstarter is for 10, but our our hope and expectation is that we hit all of the stretch goals and get all 20 of them into the book. So you know, our kind of hope and plan is to do twenty of these things, and that they will cover all four tiers of play. So you'll have you know, everything from a first level battle against a shadow-touched calcatrice to a twentieth level fight in which you're fighting a, I think it's a demon-cursed ancient gold dragon, uh, which I managed. I grabbed that one. I'm like, I want that one. Like that, <laughs> I want to write that one because I hate players. And I, <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't wait to unleash a 20 20th level. Like I want to watch 20th level players go. Ah! Ah. Right? So that's that's my and a, a demon-touched ancient gold dragon is probably that about sounds, as good as yeah, you can get.
0: Do. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be really wow. really
2: terrible. So, um and 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 James intercastle uh author of uh Invasion from the Planet of Tarasks, got the Tarasque one. Of course. Nice. So, <laughs> like that was a given. And then he wrote one that I love so much. I, I, even though we sort of the, the way we've been splitting it up is that Scott is doing sort of the development and editing work on these. James and I are doing the initial design work on these. And then we all sort of chew on them together. So we're all very, from the, from the minute a sentence hits a page, we're all pretty involved in, in every aspect of it, which is great because it's very much like what we were just doing in the show. Three people, three heads, three creative heads that are working on a, on a, on a scene works better than one. Mm right? And, and particularly when they get along well, and, and, and the three of us all get along very well. So, like, we're able to say, like, ah, oh, that's, that's a terrible idea, right? And no one, <laughs> yeah. no one gets real upset. Like, you know, it probably is a terrible idea. So, um, yeah, James wrote one about a vampire cloud giant that's in a uh, citadel that rains blood on the ground. And whoa. I was, I, I'm like, I got, I need that one. Like, yeah <laughs> you can have my Marilith, and you can have my Lich, but I gotta have, them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And so we'd like negotiate for who's writing what, you know? And uh, yeah, so we have we have lots of them. So the 10 of them, I think we have 12 written at this point, at least in first draft. And um, we've already been commissioning the art for it. and We've been commissioning maps. Every one of them is going to have uh, a full color art and and a nice full color map that will be optimized for VTTs. So you can drop it right into Roll20 or, or Fantasy Grounds, which matters a lot right now. I'm yes. hoping it doesn't matter as much when the book comes out. Yep. but you know, it may still, and there will certainly be people playing online anyway, so we definitely want to make sure that that is well supported. And um, yeah, I don't know. What was your question? You had a question. <laughs> nope, that was it. That we was said, is that
0: "What it? is it?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's you what did it
2: is. great. <laughs> well, I mean,
1: so let, let's go backwards and then go forward. Sure. Um, I totally played Vault of the Draculich like as it was coming out in Oh wow, yeah, uh, FLGS. Like uh, it was a multi-table event, yep. and um, I took basically I took my whole home group with me to this multi-table event, and then I'm just a player, which is magical. Yeah. And they're just like, okay, each person at the at, at a table is designated as the community. For a, the yeah. head of another table. And yeah. so I quietly sit there with no intention. And then like, <laughs> like all of my you, players just like, yeah, like look like, at me.
0: Right. The person in charge. I'm just like
1: He's that, it. I'm just like, that's not whatever. I don't like that. But <laughs> it's a, of course I, I took it over. But um so that was a great thing. And I want this book so bad. <laughs>
2: me, me <Yeah>. too.
1: <laughs> like I can't wait, right? Yeah. And people know. From the Kickstarter in the book that Celeste and I have done, there there's something gratifying about that process, even mm-hmm. sometimes more than when it's done. But that that mm-hmm. process of working with other people that you work really well together with, and then especially commissioning art, that's the most magical thing um, mm-hmm. about any of this. And it's already been, the Kickstarter has already been going mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks, which means it's funded, guaranteed, by the power yeah. of... Oh yeah! Time. I'm I'm saying it now. I'm projecting it into the future. It is totally funded. Um, yay!
2: Yay! yay!
1: You did it! We get we get we get all twenty of them guaranteed. Mm. But I I'm just I'm so excited for the book. Is there? And you already said it was for every tier of play. Um uh, mm-hmm. yeah, One question cool. I would ask is: Do you, are do you feel like there's harder ones in each tier? Because that that's always my thought is like. Like when you're thinking about a tier of play, do you do you feel like there are ones that are like really easier inside of a tier of play? And doing that, building that with some intentionality just because it's like, ah, uh, do I have a lower magic setting and it's a little and I want to be light on my players? Did I get overzealous with rolling uh percentile die and now they have way too much magic items? Um, that's me. <laughs> and so do I need something beefier, that kind of thing?
2: Yeah. So each adventure has like a target level, uh, and they are not. Uniform across all twenty, so we have more two more tier two and three than we do tier one and four okay um you know tier one gets played a lot, but you really don't need a lot of adventures in there to get people up to tier two but t- usually people spend I don't know that I have data behind this, but you know, people tend, I, I, I believe people tend to spend more time in tier two and probably in early tier three than they do in, in tier one or tier four on the assumption they're in a campaign. Totally. I imagine more tier one stuff gets used in general because I think there's probably more first level and, you know, characters that are lower level.
1: Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people, myself included, will skip that. Like, I'll, for yeah. the most part, I'll skip tier Oh, yeah. I only started like, level
0: three. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah right. Right. <laughs> so, dying.
2: so we don't want to have a ton <laughs> right. of stuff, but we right. do want to have, I think, I think we have one for every level of tier one. And then in tier two and three, we have more, I think there's like a couple of fives and sixes in there. Very cool. uh, and then the same thing in the tier three-ish range is more 11s and 12s. And, but every, every one of them has uh, a dial and I like to refer to them as the dials, which is like dials of difficulty that you can turn to take something and tune it up for a higher level or, or take it down to a lower level most of the time there's like three dials that kind of exist overall. Number of creatures, hit points of creatures, the amount of damage that a creature does. And, you know, you can, not only can you tune an encounter with those three dials beforehand, you can tune the encounter with those three dials during the game, which sometimes you have to do, right? Yep. Sometimes it's like, <laughs> you know, that Strahd fight, it's like, wow, he just got smote for how much? Like the paladin uh, just did 192 points of damage. Yeah. It's like, what? Strahd has 300 hit points. Wow, right? yeah. Like, yeah. You know, or you just say, no, you killed Strad in one hit. <laughs> yeah, you know, gold star. Hey, it hmm. happens. Don't remember it. So um, yeah, so there's there's those dials that you can turn. But then we also talk about how to take some of the some of the layers and not only jump levels but even jump tiers. So an example is uh, the one one of the one of the layers that you can find in the sample chapters. We we have a, a pretty robust sample of the book. It's twenty some twenty three pages, I think, and it includes two layers in it: a, a first level and a fifth level. And the first level one's the one I'm most, I'm most familiar with, which is the Cockatrice layer. And that one we say, like, you know, it's about a Cockatrice and it's got lots of stuff in here about getting turned to stone. You can very easily turn the Cockatrice into a Basilisk or the Basilisk into a Medusa or a Medusa into a Gorgon. And yeah. you can t- you tune all of these things and probably get it from first level to a tier three yeah. just by popping out certain monsters and dropping in other monsters. And much of the rest of the Lair can sort of stay the same, much of the much of the things that you would find through explore, exploration, you know, you can, you can tune all of that stuff. Uh, so we have a lot, of, a lot of ways to kind of take any layer and sort of shift it into a different level or a different tier. And that way, because there's, you know, the, the reality is there's no way to tune a boss fight for any given group perfectly in writing the best we can do is say here's like all of the things that you need and here are those yeah yeah, here are these variables that you can turn so that if you have a group where like you're the hard dm and they've got like you know their seventh level and one person has a plus one sword Mm. you know (laughs) versus you know the other one where they're like you know i've got my twin stabs of power right i'm coming in hot (laughs) so um yeah, we we need to have those variables in there so that people know you know can tune and know how to tune an encounter to fit the exact threshold that you're looking for for a, for a battle.
1: So good. My immediate thought was my players killing the cockatrice in one hit, and then me grabbing a Medu- whatever medusa voice i want <laughs> <laughs> how dare
0: you kill
2: my god and then I just jump <laughs> right. you're
0: like whoa
2: and it can happen i mean especially at level one like level you know I, I wrote a little sidebar in the level one well i think we all three of us have a sidebar because three of us had kind of different well there were two of us with very different opinions and then one who moderated between us so again <laughs> nice to have three of us yes. uh, about level one challenges and that you know level one is super deadly. Like it's way deadlier than any other level in the game. Oh, there's yeah. nothing as dangerous when you're 18th level. There's pretty much nothing they can throw at you. That yeah. will be the damage equivalent of you facing like goblins at level one. And um, so he wrote like, you know, be nice at level one. Right. And, and then our, our, our beloved James that is was like, you don't always have to be nice. You know? <laughs> so he wrote that sidebar, but yeah, we, and that's something that we like to do in this book is, is not just, we are trying to teach how to fish along with the encounters. So It's not just a book of encounters on their own. It's also like, hey, here are toolkits. You know, some are very overt, like how to be nice at level one. And then others are like little secret subtleties, like how we customize monsters that we are hoping DMs will pick up and go, huh. So that's how I can take a creature and, you know, make it three CRs higher without doing any work. So those those are all kinds of things we're trying to do in this.
0: Very cool. Oh, man, I can't wait to buy this. (laughs)
2: Yeah, like I said, I can't I can't wait to have it in my hands either. Like, you know.
1: I'm, I'm as excited as anyone.
2: So, we
1: already talked the SEO is good, but where can people go to find and support this awesome book?
2: Probably the easiest podcast friendly way is go to fantasticlayers.com. Uh, the fantasticlayers.com website has links to the Kickstarter. It will have, you know, links as the as the project grows, that page will grow. You'll be able to get everything there. The sample chapters will be there. So uh, everything everything and all information that you want, you can get right off of fantasticlayers.com. And that site will remain up after the Kickstarter is done. And then when the book comes out, you can buy it from there. So that site will always be there. That's the easiest way to find it.
1: But with that, we'll turn out the lights and head out of the gym. Before we go, we want to implore you, the listener, to join up on the forums, Discord, Twitter, and anywhere else you can find us and take part in these challenges, exercises, and other amazing conversations being had.
0: To do that, head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and try some gymnastics so your players don't ask.
2: Do you even lift?